I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astral Radio Z is a horror cult. Exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. Why, hello, my friends, and welcome to this intriguing episode of Astro Radio Z. My name is Baron Martino, and I host a little show called The Jallo Room. Mr. Derek Harry asked me to come on and explain to the uninitiated what giallo is. Giallo is basically the Italian word for yellow that often refer to cheap mystery novels with yellow covers published by Monadori in Italy back in the 1920s and beyond. However, it became the namesake of a notorious genre of films that peaked in the early 70s after Mario Bava, Dario Argento, Lucio Fulci, Sergio Martino, and many other talented Italian filmmakers introduced audiences to a style of film that incorporated ornate cinematography, a pulsating soundtrack, a black glove killer, and a thrilling twist ending. Join us today as we discuss some films from the world of Jallo. Here now is your host, Mr. Derek Carey. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z, folks, and thank you, Mr. Martino. I appreciate you uh, introducing the show and coming on your show. I'm a huge fan of the Giallo Room. Folks, listeners of Astro Radio Z, if you aren't a fan, you haven't subscribed to the Giallo Room channel on YouTube, go over and do so and give Mr. Baron Martino some love. So, without further ado, we're going to get to the episode tonight on Giallo films because I've been a huge fan for a long, long time. I'm a big fan of Italian cinema in general, horror cinema, that is. My obsession with it mostly started with Dario Argento and his films, Deep Red and The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and Terror at the Opera and stuff like that. But then once I got involved with uh, some friends of mine on an old website called infinitropolis.com, I kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Once you start with one, there's so many of them, and they're so exotic and so weird and kind of sleazy and kind of dreamlike. They're kind of addicting. (laughs) And there's a lot of them out there. In the span of a short period of time, a lot of them were produced. So I have somebody on my panel tonight that was actually part of that old website, infinitropolis.com, Mr. Seth Paulin. He was part of the people that got me really into uh, Giallo film back in the day. Seth, how you doing tonight? I'm good. That is a uh, fantastic trip down memory lane for Infinitropolis. <laughs> yeah, you remember that? We used to have the horror draft. Remember on old bloody yeah. disgusting boards? Yeah. Did we ever do the Giallo draft? I think we tried, and there was only about five or six people that signed up. So what that is, listeners, is back in the day, 
in the we're talking early 2000s when bloody disgusting uh first started that's where i met seth there used to be these i think once a year we would hold a horror draft where a bunch of it's kind of like fantasy football but with horror films where you would each of the contestants would go through 10 rounds and everyone would pick films and then you would go up against other people in the message boards to see who had the best list of horror films. And uh, I never got fucking close. I never even, how did you end up doing Seth? I don't remember. I got to the semifinals once, once in the semifinals and uh, nobody had seen the church, which was my big, my big round 10 pick. And that ended up costing me. (laughs) Yeah. I, I remember back in the day, if you didn't have films that everyone knew, you were fucked. If you yeah. brought in any of the the little kind of obscure kind of sleazy stuff, nobody knew that. You're talking about bloody disgusting. They know Child's Play 2 and they know Friday 13th Part 6 and that's about it. Why don't you tell me a little bit, how did you get into Giallo films? I guess I was a late bloomer in Euro horror. I guess as far as uh, horror fans are concerned, I was probably about 18 and I discovered uh, Suspiria thanks to one of those one of those horror Halloween countdowns like top 100 horror movies of all time and i saw a clip from suspiria that got me into euro horror and quickly dug further into that and uh, it led me to the giallo films of argento and that just opened up a shit storm of eight years or so of wild giallo filmmaking like i said once you see one and once you seem to get a taste for it there's so much of it it is literally like falling down a rabbit hole yeah, you can really just find a new one for every day of the year and go 10 years and not watch the same one. Yeah, so many in the titles. The titles are so wow. wild. That's part of the allure. And those posters. Yeah, they're, absolutely. They're all great. <laughs> next, to, next to Seth is a good friend of mine. You've heard him before on Astro Radio Z back on the 31 Days of Horror Challenge episode of last year. Mr. Eric Ars now. How you doing, sir? Great, thanks. How's it? How's it going with you? Oh, it's going great. We're finally doing this Giallo episode that I've been talking about. Most of the time this year, I've been talking about all these crappy-ass paranormal fucking movies. It's about time we start talking about some decent shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really excited to be on this episode. Um, kind of similar to Seth, the first one that got me introduced to the whole genre was Suspiria, based on the exact same thing, a list. Um, I remember buying it off of eBay randomly, not really knowing what I was getting into, And uh, I think the biggest thing I respond to with the genre across the board is just the interesting camera techniques and um, cinematography and especially music that all these films seem to carry. It's just super awesome stuff. Mario Bava and Dario Argento are kind of like the grandfathers of this genre. Like once they did their films, the rest of the films kind of took that as the mold, you know. Um, The first one I remember ever seeing was Deep Red. And that's a very striking film. I mean, Dario Argento was at the peak of his game at that point. So after those films all came out, I mean, pretty much Bird with the Crystal Plumage is considered the film that, you know, broke the the genre wide open. Yeah, I could see that. after, After that point, all the rest of the films kind of like took that as the template and ran with it. Well, and not only that, but I mean, like, I feel like a lot of people tried working under Argento and Baba to get a little bit of that insight, um, you know, how to make giallos the way they did, just because they were so striking. And it was also a matter of the soundtracks 
that were involved too that kind of made those films feel the way they did. It was that mixture of beatnik hipster music and uh, kind of uh, shuffle jazz and yeah. progressive rock and weird abstract music. It always it was so strange. It felt diametrically opposed to what was going on at, on the screen, but at the same time kind of put it into this weird dream world. I mean, what did you always think about those soundtracks that were on these films? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that really drew me um, to a lot of them. I mean, especially we were talking a little bit about uh, Dario's film for Flies on Grey Velvet, and that one is total, like, acid jazz. I mean, the thing is kind of interesting too is I feel like these are some of the first films that really started taking these types of like musical styles into uh, consideration with how they're working with the picture really well. Uh, there's definitely some sparseness where they just you know leave it up to the dialogue to carry things, but kind of add in the music when it's really needed. One of the things that you know, at least with Argento, when he made films, he was never super concerned with the story per se, but more the mood that was created. And the, the music always accentuated that dreamlike state that he liked his films to be in. Because at the core, the films are all murder mysteries. Yes, yeah. But for some reason, these Italian directors decided to make them into like acid dreams. Yeah. So it's a, it's a very strange, strange subgenre of, of horror. And last but not least... The man who curates the Giallo Room, one of my good friends, the biggest Giallo fan I've ever met in my entire life, Mr. Brian Martinez. Thank you for wow. coming back. You heard him on the 50th episode of Astro Radio Z, a rather weird introduction for him uh, on a five-hour episode where I'm sure he got buried at the very ascent of that episode. <laughs> but finally, I'm bringing him on the episode he was meant to be on on Astro Radio Z. Brian, thank you for coming. Well, thank you so much for that kind intro. I mean, Jallo is like, I guess, my life. <laughs> and it's, it's, I realize that's a little sick to say, but I just, I love these films so much. So I watched my very first Jallo uh, unsuspectingly when I was a, when I was a kid, actually. I walked in and um, my uncle was watching, um, I didn't know it back then, but years later when I just rediscovered the film, I was like, oh my God, that's the film. Um, I was watching All the Colors of the Dark. Oh, wow. And yeah, he had, um, what, what tripped me out like later on in life um, that I didn't realize obviously when I was a kid is that he, w he was actually watching a Spanish version of this film on VHS and you know later as a collector it tripped me out that he had this like Spanish version of all the colors of the dark and meanwhile I'm searching for this damn movie and I can't find it anywhere you know but <laughs> I could attribute to that I could I could attribute most of my personal um, like I love dark-haired women 
I love um, satanic imagery in films. I love like all this weird stuff, and I feel like it all traces right back to that one film with uh, Edwidge Fennec and oh. and all this craziness going on. And yeah, so so it was. I think I must have been like nine or ten when I watched the film. And my uncle, of course, he didn't care. He was one of those uncles that uh, you know he. He pretty much uh, introduced me to a lot of stuff, and Jalo was fortunately and unfortunately one of those things. So <laughs> it cursed you for women for the rest of your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> pretty much, and, and it's it's crazy, but like I, you know, I, I have this like deep-seated passion for all these different things, and then later on, when I when I you know when I personally started discovering all these. Italian films. Um, I watch. I just stumbled upon all the colors of the dark. I think I had um, just an Italian version of the film, and and everything just sort of came back to me. It was like, oh my god, that's the the nightmarish dream in the beginning, and then oh my god, that's Edwidge Fennec, that's the girl, and then so everything sort of just came back. And I feel like personally, that's just been like. I've always wanted to collect these films and just learn more and more about them. So, Well, we've been lucky in the last 10 years um, with the advent of, of DVD at the tail end. Uh, there were a few companies that decided to just take this genre and run and released so many of them in a lot of really obscure ones. So fans of the genre or newcomers that could get into uh, at least one or two of the films that we'll talk about tonight. There is a lot of it out there now because of the enthusiasts and because of DVDs that they can finally go out and seek these out on American soil. You know, the, a lot of companies are still releasing them on Blu-ray, even Arrow's releasing a bunch of them. So uh, it, tonight, what I want to do with this episode is not only kind of introduce you guys, those that don't know what Giallo film is or haven't watched a Giallo film, I want to introduce you guys to some cool starter movies for you to kind of dip your toes in uh, to the waters. And then further down the line, I'll probably do another episode or two where we get in deep into some pretty deep cuts, and then we'll talk some more about it then. But tonight I kind of wanted to bring on uh, my friends that I know are super into this that'll give you some good movies to kind of, you know, wet that palate a little bit because it's a really great genre that has dynamic music, beautiful cinematography, usually great gore, amazingly beautiful women, usually decent murder mysteries that for some reason at the very end turn into M. Night Shyamalan twist that usually don't make a hell of a lot of fucking sense, <laughs> <laughs> but they're still kind of fun. I know Eric and I, we were talking about this. What did, when you first saw your, your the first switcheroo giallo ending, Eric, what did you end up thinking about it? Well, it's, it's one of those things where it's, just, it's completely baffling. Um, I mean, some of these come way out of left field, but that's kind of the fun of all of it is uh, going back to that idea. Like so many of these have horrible, horrible plot holes, but they just play off like a crazy fever dream. And they're so cool to look at that. It doesn't really matter. And you just go with it. And it's like, fine, that's, that's how it happens. A lot of them were made in the late sixties, early seventies. And by the time the eighties hit around, some of those later giallos turned more into slasher films. Yes. So yeah. they, they didn't have kind of the, the fun, beatnik kind of dream vibe that some of the early Giallos had, um, where then in the 70s, like Brian was saying, when 
stuff like all the colors of the dark come out, they become really, really kind of weird acid dreams where they're they're they have satanic images in there and that's when you know the, the advent of some of the slasher stuff started happening um if you were going to pick one favorite giallo before we get into our picks of what movies we want our listeners uh to go check out what would be probably the quintessential giallo uh in your mind brian mario baba's blood and black lace simply because it's just such a beautiful, beautiful film. A house of high fashion, a dazzling whirl of elegance, of exotic, extravagant beauties. An adventurous journey into the devastating allure of the most sophisticated women and their intimate secrets. Suddenly, these lace curtains ignite a drama that will lacerate your emotions. Blood and black lace. Who is this shrouded, sadistic, sordid fiend who maims and murders? Why this bloodthirsty orgy, this holocaust of lives? Blood and black lace in bleeding color. For shattering, shivering, shocking experience. Blood and Black Lace came out and really introduced all the, the true elements, like sort of the backbone of what Jalo actually became. And I think Dario Argento took those elements and has really amped them up into what I, what I think people sort of recognize it as to this day. And incidentally, if you picked up the Arrow uh, video one, it's it's the best that that film has ever looked. So I think that if uh, if you're going into... Um, a film like if you want to watch a really beautiful film with just murder and supermodels and and all these crazy and it's got a beautiful crazy twist ending as well. I would say the quintessential one would be Blood and Black Lace, but again that that uh, sentiment could pretty much change in like the next. I could think of something else and be like, oh my god, I gotta say Deep Red or something. You know, like it, there's just so many of them. Blood and Black Lace definitely is another one. Like it, when I started going down the rabbit hole of the Gialli, um, it was one that kept I kept seeing over and over and over again. And the thing that you first get hit with is the u- crazy use of color in that film. And oh, if yeah. you're familiar with Baba at all, he is he's kind of the dude that, you know, Argento took a lot of cues from Baba. Right. Use of, you know, hard primary uh, colors that are splashed all over the place. It's a beautiful, beautiful film. And the first film I'm going to bring, I'll start this out, boys. The first film I'm going to bring tonight that I think you guys should go check out of this genre is what's widely considered as the first Giallo made. It can be argued that the the genre started with Hitchcock and Psycho and um, some other films like Peeping Tom and stuff like that. But when it's considered, when most people talk about Italian giallo cinema, they usually say that the first film is The Girl Who Knew Too Much by Mario Baba. Supernatural powers of the evil eye claim still another victim. 
its malevolent enjoyment of tantalizing torture hangs threateningly over John Saxon, Letitia Roman, and Valentina Corteza. Oh, she was always against me. She hated me. Madness. And the maddening aura that destroys reason fills their every breath with the smell of death. Miss Dawson, have you ever seen a murder before? No, no, I've never seen anything like that. Never. Oh, stop playing games, will you, Landini? I don't know what you're trying to do, but I know that you're, you're involved in this. Perhaps Nora has seen the killer. But how do we know that he hasn't seen her? The evil eye, like relentless tides, reaches out for them. And they defiantly hold ecstasy and horror in their arms and touch lips with terror while the evil eye watches their every kiss and invades their subconscious. This film, to me, it's not as dark as some of the other films that we'll be talking about tonight. It's it's shot in black and white, but still, if you're familiar with any of Baba's uh, subsequent work, it has a lot of the same calling cards, a lot beautiful cinematography, because we all know Baba started out as a cinematographer first for many, many years. And uh, it has beautiful, stark, like hard contrast, black and white photography, with a lot of light slivers, um, great play on shadows, dynamic uh, compositions within the frame, um, really fun <laughs> beatnik music that gives... Uh, the the film not only kind of this it has this dark gothic feeling because of the cinematography and because it's a murder mystery but it gives it this kind of lighthearted tone that Bava would be known for in some of his subsequent work because I think compared to some of the other directors that would come after him and Argento is included in that Bava always had a playfulness about his films where they they dealt with dark subjects but also kind of had it, their tongue in their cheek. And there was something super charming about all of his stuff. And the girl who knew too much definitely plays that up to a T. It's a very fun film. It's very light. So if you're looking for something that, that is a good intro where you like Hitchcock and you like kind of just fun murder mysteries, girl who knew too much, you'll jump right in and you'll, you'll dig it right away because it's, it's light. It's only about, 85 minutes long. Um, it's beautiful to look at. Uh, the lead actress is absolutely stunning. Letitia Roman, I believe her name is. Absolutely beautiful blonde. And, of course, one of my favorite actors of all time, Mr. John Saxon, is in there. <laughs> Very early John Saxon. And uh, the, what, the, what the movie's about is a, is a U.S. tourist witnesses a murder and then finds herself caught up in a series of other killings that are based on the alphabet. And because she's a fan of uh, Giallo books, she thinks she's a sleuth. So she's going to go and investigate these murders. And the further she goes, the, the more uh, she starts to see that she's in the crosshairs. I love this film. I think it's super charming. And it's it, it has a lot of the hallmarks of the Giallo genre within it. Uh, boys, have any of you guys seen this flick? Of course. Uh, yeah. What are what are your general thoughts, Seth? What do you think of this one? 
Uh, I think it's it's pretty much the perfect movie to start you know, the Giallo movement early on. It's got the first, as far as I know, the first case of the American tourist being thrown into the murder mystery scene. Uh, it's got the, I don't want to say stereotypical, but the uh, landmark stairs in Rome. They use all the, the big set pieces, well not set pieces, but the city landmarks that so many other Gialli would take advantage of. Just beautiful scenery, mm-hmm. uh, beautifully shot. Just a really good place for the the genre itself to start, and no better than uh, with Bava, yeah. who's made several fantastic films in the genre. Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely because of the setting. It is a gorgeous, gorgeous film, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It's that it's probably the best place anyone could really start uh, to get introduced to the the whole genre. Brian, what do you think of this one? Um, I really love the film. I think that um. It's 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 a it's a film that it's it's easy to see you know Bob's progression into the genre. Um, I mean he sort of expanded into multiple types of uh, you know genre of film, but I, I think that when you compare um, the girl who knew too much to uh, Blood and Black Lace, and then later you know going down the line to um, one on top of the other, and then Bay of Blood. I mean you just see the progression from that film to, you know, uh, to his later films. So I think that it's definitely a good starting point um, for somebody that wants to get into uh, this particular genre of film. Um, It's gorgeous. It's sort of like point A to, you know, I I have a hard time recommending it because it, like, later on, Jalo sort of became really known for its beautiful colors and, and because it's black and white, a lot of people, I think somebody that comes in not knowing anything about the genre would ultimately look at a black and white film and just sort of be perplexed. So I think they would sort of miss the message of what the, you know, the girl who knew too much is really about and all the little details that would later on become some of the hallmarks of Jalo. Um, are just all over the place. Um, yeah. But, yeah, definitely a great, great starting point. Yeah, I think, you know, if you can get past the fact that it is in black and white, it's still, right. for some reason, yeah. somebody had colorized it, it would it would be at home with any of the subsequent, uh, subsequent right. films. Right, Like, yeah. I think all of us understand that it is the starting point but, you know, somebody that really doesn't know anything and they just think, oh, my God, it's these sleazy movies and <laughs> it's got black love killers and, you know, it's, it's got ornate, uh, you know, filters everywhere. Like, th- they'll just look at this film and be like, whoa, what is this? You know, <laughs> so I, I think because it's, it's great. Like, Jallo is crazy. You see strip nude for your killer and that's a Jallo. And then you see the girl who needs much and that's a Jallo, you know, so it's like. That's what's so beautiful about the genre. It's just so many different kinds. But yeah, definitely a great starting point. Yeah, there's there's definitely a huge <laughs> gap between strip nude for your <laughs> and the girl who nude you much. <laughs> if if you're familiar with New York Ripper, strip nude for your killer has oh. a lot more to do with that than it does with this. <laughs> But if you're a big fan of Hitchcock, um, I think Girl Who Knew Too Much is is a perfect kind of like easing point into this genre. And then if you're but if you're a more hardcore sleaze fan, 
maybe some of these other uh, films that we're going to bring to the table will be much more in line of a starting block for you. Um, but I've always loved this film. I think it's super charming, super fun. Uh, so I'm going to move on. Eric, what is the movie you brought tonight? Uh, the movie I brought tonight is actually, I feel like it's kind of picked up popularity lately a lot. Uh, the Perfume of the Lady in Black. stars Mimsy Farmer who also was in some other stuff like uh, I believe Moore and uh, Four Eye, uh, Flies on Grey Velvet. The reason why I was bringing it to the table is it's just um, really batshit crazy. Uh, the story starts out you know simple enough this girl's a scientist and um, just all this uh, really weird dreamlike stuff starts happening to her throughout the entire film and the soundtrack is pretty cool really well used and executed uh, I just I think it's a really fun fun film yeah it's also another one of these where the visuals are pretty crazy and it has this really dreamlike atmosphere about it Brian what do you think of this one? Oh, I love it I love um, you know it also has that cult atmosphere in it yeah. Um, Romero uh, video just came out with a, a beautiful Blu-ray transfer of the film. And Mimsy Farmer, I think she's one of those unsung leading actresses. You know, she's been in a, lo- a lot of these jolly, and, and she's never really, you always hear the Edwidge Fenex or the Barbara Boucher's, but you never hear about Mimsy Farmer. So. No, yeah, and I absolutely, think, yeah. I, I love when she's on screen. I mean, I don't know. She's yeah. great to look at, really charismatic and... Yeah. She's great in uh, Four Flies and and um, you know, and that, the that's Black Cat. Be... She's good in the Black yes. Cat. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that one. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, I I love that film as well. It's it's definitely one of those um, Jalo films that sort of reaches for you know other elements. Uh, you know, n- not just like the typical Jalo you know archetypes. It, it it goes for so much more in that film. So definitely love it. I think uh, one of the interesting things about it, too, is, like, it's got just a lot of weird, quirky characters, which seems to be a really big theme with Giallos, because they always like to try throwing you off the trail constantly with just these bizarre people who might only be interjected for a scene. And so, yeah, it's kind of fun that way, too. Right. And because you've never, because once you watch one or two of these, you kind of get the hint that anybody can be the killer. And it usually is somebody who is only on screen for like 10 seconds. A lot of these films did just introduce characters willy nilly and all of them are suspect because they're all so fucking weird. Seth, uh, have you seen this one? 
Yeah, I think uh, Mimsy Farmer really does a good job carrying that movie uh, with her. I think um, her acting is a little bit above the Edward Fenix and Barbara Boucher's. She might not be quite the eye candy that they are, but I think she does a really good job emoting uh, better than they do. And uh, like Brian said, it does bring that cult atmosphere to it where you're not quite sure uh, who's in on the story and who's not. And, of course, the, you know, 7,000 red herrings they throw at us. <laughs> that is definitely a huge, huge device within Giallo film. What do you think it is about the million and a half red herrings, Brian? I mean, what, it seems to be a huge staple of this genre. I, I know not all of the films go absolutely batshit crazy with all of the, the weird red herrings and stuff like that. What do you think it is about about uh, this element of the film? Is it is it just kind of like the usual Italian sensibility where in most of their exploitation uh, films, they just decide to, you know, take things... The, that much further than most of the other, like the U.S. films? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you're talking about these films in particular, like you touched upon with uh, The Girl Who Knew Too Much, it already introduced all these different um, mysteries. And, you know, when you look at an American film, like there's a lot of American films that you can sort of correlate back to Jallo, um, but, you know, they're not really called Jallo. There's some of them that sort of, creep up to the edge of what you know a, a giallo is I think that classic Italian films um, just sort of you know you're, you're coming from a place of mystery anyway after you know the, so the peak is basically in the early 70s into the mid 70s everybody's sort of competing with each other and and then they come out with all these outlandish topics so you know, it's just like any other genre. It, you exhaust all these different elements, and then you start coming up with just brand-new, crazy, off-the-wall elements, and it just adds to the character of all these films, you know? At least that's what I think. I, I think, you know, when 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 certain films come out and they don't necessarily create a, a genre, then they sort of remain what they are. But when you, when you come out with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, and, and that movie sort of made a lot, you know, uh, when it came out, everybody's trying to replicate that certain, uh, the feeling of what that film conveyed. And then, uh, you know, everybody's trying to do something. Like, when you look at Fulci's earlier uh, Jallo films, they're so much different from the later ones. You know, obviously, you know, after in the 80s, you've exhausted all these different um, elements and ideas, and you're just coming up with all these crazy stuff that it makes it, I feel like it makes it seem sleazy, but, but it's just like, you know, when you've done the same thing over and over, you have to try something different. And, and sometimes, you know, you sacrifice logic when it comes to trying to, you know, find new and different exciting ideas. Well, I mean, I'd even go so far as to say, like, I feel like um, the big difference between this and kind of like the American films that might toe the line with Giallo is, you can tell like these filmmakers just have a ton of fun doing what they're doing. And that's probably where a lot of the kind of like artsy camera moves or lighting or things kind of come from too, is they're just not afraid to like do whatever and try things on set. And the, the films just have that fun feel to them, which I think sets them apart from, you know, anything else really. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there is definitely a freedom on those sets to try what they wanted to try. 
Well, a lot of the Italian subgenres of exploitation back in the day, um, they didn't have the studio influence. You know, they didn't have people trying to mold them into something that was super marketable. They were being sold on the sleaze factor and on how ridiculous they were. And I mean, the titles alone kind of tell you, you know, how far they wanted to push this stuff. I mean, what the hell four flies on gray velvet? What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> or the perfume of the lady in black. <laughs> I mean, these titles are fucking insane. Let's uh, let, let's say some more titles of these because they're so fun to fucking say. The killer reserved nine seats. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the house with laughing windows. Yep. <laughs> and, your, vice, uh, your vice is a locked door and only I have the key. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> I love that title, man. Absolutely love that title. But uh, the iguana with the tongue of fire. Have you guys ever seen that one? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so moving on, another ridiculous title is about to hit us right now. Mr. Seth Pollen, what is the film you decided to bring tonight? I brought uh, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward from Directed by Sergio Martino, uh, starring the gorgeous Edward Fennick, who is not going to be a stranger to this series of podcast episodes. No. And uh, she's basically uh, trapped in a kind of romantic triangle of lovers with her husband that bores her, a uh, ex who is pretty maniacal and crazy, played by Ivan Rasimov, who is just fantastic as a villain. 
And then her uh, suave lover, George, played by George Hilton, who is a perfect suave lover. (laughs) And uh, there's just a series of sex murders going around, and everyone she comes in contact with ends up dead as she uh, receives bouquets of flowers with weird, obscene poetry. And... (laughs) We'll see if she can survive before or find out the identity of the killer before she gets uh, the razor from the black glove. It's uh, yeah. it's pretty it's pretty textbook giallo when you get all the tr- genre tropes in there. Everything's in there, and uh, it's really, really well done. Martino's direction is really deliberate and fluent and beautiful. And Nora Orlandi did the score. She might be familiar to some Quentin Tarantino fans because he took uh, – a song from this and put it in Kill Bill too. Very famous song. Yeah, I'm not yeah. gonna pronounce it. Yeah, I'm not about to do it. Brian, can you pronounce it? <laughs> oh God! If, if the Baron was here, you definitely could, but I'm I'm not good with the song. <laughs> Martino's a great director. That's a name that you'll see oh, quite a bit because he yeah he's torso. Yeah, you could argue he's he's one of the the two or three kings of the genre. Torso is uh, more on the. It's more of the sleazier end. Of, yeah, I was gonna say he's almost, he's almost one of the directors that probably inspired more like the American slasher movement too. To be honest, right? Uh, yeah, he definitely definitely had some extra sleaze in a lot of his films. Right. I mean, if anybody that's familiar with Sergio Martino, he he would go on to make. Um, an Astro Radio Z favorite, Mountain of the Cannibal God, uh, Man Called Blade. Um, he also made uh, the, the amazingly titled Your Vice is a Locked Room and I Only Have a, have the Key. <laughs> I have the key. I can't even say it right now. Which they, uh, they put that title in one of the poems that she gets. In the- yeah. he, he made some really great – another great one that he made, which I, I would lump more t- with – um, some of the earlier giallos that are that were a little tamer than some what he would make after almost directly after is the case of the Scorpion's Tail, is yeah. a much yeah. more like a bird with a crystal plumage. It's much more like that. Um, if you're into that style of murder mystery where it's a little more straight laced, more of a procedural, uh, mixed with some of the you know fantastic colored visuals and crazy music, it's kind of a good middle ground film but then almost immediately afterward he started making some really really crazy stuff brian what did you what do you think of this flick oh my god martino is one of my favorites i mean i one of the earlier ones that i watched was all the colors of the dark i would also add that martino is one of the few and probably the only one that really made some real traditional giallo films you know just like for example the strange vice of mrs ward is you know if you're going to just bringing in somebody blind to the genre, that's a perfect film to to introduce to the person because, you know, like Seth said, it's got all the elements there, you know, and it's 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 awesome because it's like Edwidge and George sort of like work together, you know, um, again in All the Colors of the Dark, and it's amongst my favorites. People always, you know, look at that as like, you know, one of the absolute best uh, Jalo films ever made, um, but I think they look at it because it's got all the 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 perfect elements of what Jalo is. You know, it's you can pretty much bring your checklist along while you're watching the film and literally check off every single element 
Um, but not only that, it's a great film. It's it's from beginning to end, and it's got that that great twist that I personally didn't really see coming the first time I watched it. Um, not so, at all. Yeah, I, I, yeah, great, great film. It, it's it's one of the few. Not I, I shouldn't say one of the few. It's one of the films that does the twist like perfectly. You know. Would you basically say if you were gonna do the top three Giallo directors, it would be it would probably be Bava Argento and Martino. I would almost put like Martino because I feel like he was just like the guy, you know, like you 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 want a good Jallo, Martino's gonna give you a good Jallo. Like you want a crazy fucking you know, like oh my you know, what the hell am I watching? Argento's gonna give you that. You want a, a just a beautiful cinematic experience, I think Bava's gonna give you that. If you wanna just what Jallo really is, Martino I think would be probably the best example of what, you know, like a textbook Jallo. I think Martino, uh, you know, and unfortunately it's like Argento, Bava, Fulci, and Martino's hardly ever, you know, um, discussed. So because of that, I would probably throw Martino out at, you know, number one. I know that's a little controversial to say, but I would definitely put Martino on top. I would not disagree with you. Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, trying to bring together all the elements of what the genre is supposed to be, Martino perfectly displays that in all of his films. It's the other stuff, they kind of take it elsewhere, walk with it. You know, it's a bit more eye candy here and there, but to be just truly classic, that's kind of where Martino's films really hit home. Right. Yeah, he he made a lot of what now is considered kind of the staple of films, and we, we listed off... Uh, a bunch of them, um, but like the the case of the Bloody Iris is another one. Yeah. And what have you done to Solange? Very yeah. cool. Oh my god! Very classic film. Very very classic film. So uh, Sergio Martino is definitely a name to write down. Um, in in this film in particular, let's before we move on to less, let's talk about Edwidge Fenich. How much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) If you're a red-blooded man or a woman that's the lover (laughs) of ladies, I would find it very difficult for you to not instantly fall (laughs) in love with her. She is one of the most beautiful specimens of a female ever, 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 ever. And she's in tons of these movies, and she's very sexy. And mostly nude, if not fully nude, in almost all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I I understand why Brian was is obsessed with women that look just like her because uh, she is a striking woman and she's always shot very provocatively in all of these films. But it's all in the eyes, though. Yes, she has very striking and beautiful eyes. And it's where it, the way that it's shot because it's all shot very stylistically. They focus on her her eyes quite a bit. Yeah, and and I would I would also say that you know that's one of the misconceptions is that everybody says that she's in you know all these different Jalo films, but she's only really done a handful of them, and and then she sort of like segued into like Italian sex comedies mm-hmm. and I think you know people looking from the outside in just sort of mix all of them as like oh they're these the sleazy films that's what she's in you know and and Jallo so happens to be probably her top shelf genre that she worked in although some would probably argue that's not necessarily top shelf 
you know, like she's been in, in some really iconic films, but I wouldn't say that she was in a lot of these films necessarily. Um, but she's definitely one of the most memorable uh, leading ladies. Well, she was in some that were some, some of the more very striking films yeah. in the genre. Like, like we had said before, Strip Nude for Your Killer. She's in that. Uh, she's in the Red Queen series. Which uh, I I would highly recommend if you I know uh, Seth was saying that they're they're releasing that on Blu-ray coming soon. Yeah, in May I think. I would I would check that out. They had a release of a box set in which uh, it had the actual Red Queen as a doll included with with the films. Seth actually showed that he picked it up, and I was quite jealous <laughs> of this. Showed me this. But uh, she was also in one of uh, Baba's later films, Five Dolls for an August Moon, which yeah. isn't tr- isn't a tr- very good <laughs> giallo, but it's it's a giallo nonetheless. It's such a stylish film, you know. Like, granted, it doesn't um, you know necessarily hold water to most of Baba's films, but it's it's if you watch it with the sound off, it's a beautiful looking film. The interior sets on that are incredible yeah that house yeah. Is gorgeous well speaking of edwidge fenich let's go to the last film of the night mr brian martinez what is the film you decided to bring in for the folks actually i did like a late um a late game change oh he red herring us. he red herring us. he originally was going to bring all the colors of the dark what did you what did you do? <laughs> I mean, I could talk about all the colors of the dark, but as far as like introducing somebody to um, you know, cuz I think All the Colors of the Dark is a great film, but to me it's a personal film. I don't necessarily think that somebody coming in cold will look at All the Colors of the Dark and just be like, "Oh, I got to you know, I mean, it's I mean, maybe it might inspire them to watch more of these, you know, uh jolly, but I would personally um, recommend uh, Death Walks on High Heels. I want to know who shot him. But I only heard footsteps, I'll tell you. A woman's. It was a woman's something. He thinks I have those diamonds. He says he'll kill me if I don't tell him where they are. That Englishman killed her, if you want to know. I regret to say that your accusation is erroneous. You see, Dr. Matthews couldn't have done it, as he was shot last night. It might have been anyone. Even you. You're after her killer. How amazing you should care when the stupid bitch nearly murdered the man who was keeping her.
it's a good film. Um, it's a good mystery film that weaves a lot of intrigue and suspense without necessarily being full Jallo. You know, mm-hmm. it, it definitely has a lot of the Jallo elements in it. Um, you know, you 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 have a a black glove killer um, with a blade and and it's got some of these red herrings in there, you know, left and right and and sometimes you know, you know, um, like you guys were saying, one too many. Um, because it literally switches things up. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it literally keeps on going all the way to the end. Um, but it's one of those films that's shot beautifully. Um, the story is really cohesive. You know, it, it has to do with a, a jewel thief, and and basically the the motive of the entire film is they're just trying to retrieve these jewels, and and, and so it almost becomes like a literal murder mystery. And I think it's more akin to some of the old Monodori novels that were published. So, so I think it, it's sort of like a nice film that skirts the edge of Jalo. Although I do believe it's, you know, it's it's definitely a Jalo. But I think it's a good film. Like if somebody wants to dip their big toe in the pool of Jalo, which would be red, incidentally. <laughs> I think. I think Death Walks on High Heels. Is that perfect film? Because it, it would, I think, unfortunately, you know, the mainstream doesn't really look at these films as like, oh my God, these are some great pieces of work, you know, unless we're talking about Argento or whatever. So I think Death Walks on High Heels is one of those films that somebody that doesn't know about these films could literally walk in, watch, really enjoy it, and then sort of have that street cred that, you know, this is one of the more obscure ones that isn't necessarily brought up into discussions. And then sort of delve further into the into the genre. Yeah, I agree with you on that one because I think if any of the films tonight, I think this is kind of like the girl who knew too much, where it's it's shot a little more traditionally, and it yeah. has the weirder elements to it, but is far more accessible than the vast majority of kind of the more strange you know, kind of surreal giallos that the, the the genre is typified with, you know. So this is this is a great starting block uh, for uh, the genre. And you're right. I mean, yeah. for anybody just starting with the genre, it is a, um, a really great kind of like bragging rights movie because Luciano Ercoli, uh, Ercoli just gets overlooked, I feel like, quite a bit because he didn't do a whole yeah. lot, but the output that he did – do is really phenomenal i mean they're all, shot really well and soundtrack's awesome so all absolutely quality, all quality films from him yeah, yeah both yeah. both of the high heels movies are quite good yeah and i mean luckily arrow just put those out on blu-ray so there's really nice hd transfers of them both too so yeah definitely, definitely. Right and so many features yeah yeah spend 100 bucks on them anymore from the no shame dvds no <laughs> If if you like the first one, I would definitely recommend checking out the second one. And in the second one, the killer wears an iron glo- spiked glove as the murder yeah. weapon, <laughs> and it's awesome. It is awesome. Yeah. yeah, I feel like the second one, Death Walks at Midnight, is uh, it sort of spirals into that sort of like craziness, you know. So I think Death Walks on High Heels is the more tame of the two. But yeah, it's not taking anything away from Midnight because I feel like that one is an is an amazing film as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a good. I think that's a good stepping stone. Like the like the high heels and then the midnight. I think the, that's yeah. a, a good way to kind of jump into um, the pool. You know, because it once once you if you're good with the second film, then you're going to be good with the vast majority of this stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I I really love all the movies that you guys brought tonight because. Uh, it's kind of tough to just like summarize what makes this film, these films so great without actually seeing them. I hope you guys listeners got something out of this that you can go and try and seek these out. Cause if you're a fan of, of Euro sleaze, you're a fan of Argento, um, which is one of the bigger names out there. I think that you have a good reference as to you. You will probably like these kind of films because if you're into that kind of stuff, a lot of the calling cards of Argento's earlier career with Suspiria and Deep Red are throughout all of this. So I would totally recommend going to this. If you're not into that kind of stuff, do not watch these movies. You probably will not like them. Um, as much as I said that there are elements, uh, obviously, of Hitchcock that runs through a lot of this stuff, these films are far too weird for the vast majority of people. we say that lovingly, though. I said we say that lovingly. Well, know? yeah. They're, they're I, weird, but... Well, the, that's what makes them so fun, though, is that you don't yeah. know what's going to happen. You're, you're watching what, for all intents and purposes, is a pretty um, straightforward uh, like murder mystery, but it's done in such a weird style that you don't know what the fuck is going to happen at any point in it. And then all of a sudden there's hyper violence. There's some beautiful naked chicks and uh, <laughs> some crazy ass music going on. And it's just, it, it, it's so out there that uh, it takes a very specific taste to get into this stuff. So if you're into hyper stylized stuff, you'll probably get into this genre um, pretty well. Now, before we wrap this up, one of the one of the big things uh, that I love about uh, Giallo films are the soundtracks. Now, I would love for you guys. Uh, I'm obviously going to play some Giallo mu- music throughout uh, the episode here, but um, I, w- I would love if you guys, off the top of your heads, knew any good Giallo soundtracks uh, to point the listeners to. Brian, do you have any? You know, I, I would have to say anything uh, Morricone touches. Um... And especially because he won the Oscar this year. I feel like yeah. um, he's a great starting point. You know, I love Bruno. Personally, my favorite is uh, Bruno Nicolai's um, All the Colors of the Dark for personal reasons. Um, but I would start with Morricone and then work your way into all these amazing... I mean, you can go from Morricone to Goblin. It's just like night and day. But I think Morricone is just such a smooth, beautiful... Um, you know, composer of these of these films, so
Bruno Nicolai it may be my favorite composer of any of this stuff. Yeah. Um, he did a lot more of the traditional um, kind of giallo soundtrack that you would become accustomed to in the in the early seventies and the late sixties, early seventies, which is kind of that that weird beatnik jazz type music that you would see in lounges, you would hear in lounges and stuff like that. And it, it it's, makes the films really fun. And they're actually quite fun to sit and listen to. Eric, is there any that, that you really get into? Obviously, this is where Goblin got their huge start, um, working with Argento on a lot of stuff. So if you're familiar with that band, you'll definitely recognize like a lot of soundtracks to Argento's work. Um, and obviously, Goblin has created a huge stepping stone for progressive rock. I mean, they're even influencing bands like Zombie today. So they really made a benchmark in kind of the whole Shialo genre. Seth? I think anything Riz Ortolani touched was pretty much gold. He did oh, yeah. a lot of uh, like jazzy club music for the Giallo films and Euro crime genre, but also his Spaghetti Western soundtracks rivaled Morricone's. And just a fantastic, I guess, outside of the Euro horror or Euro uh, cult scene, he's really not respected too much or talked about too much. So I think uh, giving him a chance would be a good use of everybody's time.
that's a great thing about some of these composers is that they did straddle the line of not only uh, the giallo, but they also did spaghetti westerns, which is all is another genre that I'm going to probably do a few episodes on because I'm also a huge fan of spaghetti westerns. But uh, yeah, Riz's stuff is really great. Him and uh, Nikolai, two of my favorites for sure. And of course, Goblin. Absolutely. Oh, Fabio, <laughs> did we bring up him? No, we did not bring up him. Okay, yeah, he's fantastic too. Why don't, why don't you set that um, one up? Why don't you start off? I'm trying to place like what a really good giallo-oriented film you know would be that he worked on. But I know he worked a lot with Fulce. Um, obviously, he's probably most famous for his soundtrack to The Beyond. Uh, but he's got his fingers in a lot of Italian soundtracks that are just absolutely fantastic. So I'll throw out Stelvio Cipriani, who did the. Uh, I mean, among others, he did what the films that Brian brought to the table. The, uh, right. the Walks movies, those are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also did Iguana with the Tongue of Fire. Yeah. And, uh, some trashy Nazi exploitation movies. And plenty of other good stuff. Uh, he's great, too. In general, if you're a fan of any Italian horror or Italian subgenre, you're going to be a fan of most of the other films that we're dropping left and right and all of these guys um, because they all kind of have that same uh, go-for-broke sensibility um, about them. Um, so I hope you guys got something out of this episode. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you go out there and start watching some Giallo or some Gialli, which is uh, – Brian, is that the proper plural term of the Giallo? Yeah, so the, the, the proper plural – uh, plural term for Jallo is Jolly, uh, which is a little unfortunate because Jolly sounds like you're having a jolly old time, you know, uh, which you you can be. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> multiple <laughs> multiple uh, you know Jallo films would be considered Jolly, and then you know the world of Jallo it would just be Jallo. I'm glad this point was brought up. <laughs> that, is a, that is a pet peeve that gets under my skin. Oh my god, me too, Seth. So and you know, it, it's like you know, I, I don't blame people because you know, like you know, like we discussed, Jalo isn't necessarily one of those genre. I mean, you know, it, it is getting a lot of great releases these days. But often, when you hear like a pot, when you're searching for these things, you hear people say, you know, all these great Jalos, and it's just like, oh my god, it's jolly, you know? Yeah. But, it's um, almost a, a snobby thing to be mad about, but <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, you gotta you gotta put the awareness out there somehow, you know. Now comes the the self shilling portion of this shindig where we tell you where we can find each of us uh, if you would like to do so. Um, Seth, why don't you tell the fine listeners where they can find you? Uh, you can find me at celluloidterror.blogspot.com and Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Celluloid Terror. Uh, all sorts of horror and cult film reviews and film talk and bitching and moaning. <laughs> there is an awful lot of that on the internet nowadays. Eric? Uh, currently, um, probably I started a music podcast, uh, Eric Rock Radio Hour. It's E-R-T-R-O-K Radio Hour. Um, I'm on Facebook, iTunes. You can put me in a Google search engine and find a website too. So, Brian? Uh, did you do a lot, like a good half an hour for this? Because... Um... I got like a bunch of them. <laughs> um, try, no, but, um, try, to, try to be concise, Brian. <laughs> um, 
I run the Jalo Films page on Facebook. Uh, I also run uh, the Jalo Room uh, with Baron Martino. Um, you could find the YouTube channel. Um, just search the Jalo Room. Also, we're starting production on a brand new. Since this is Jalo, I figured you know bring some Jalo stuff. We're starting production on a brand new Jalo web series um, that hopefully will be released in the fall, uh, called the the Demon Kills in White. Um, so look out for that, and you know, if you want to find me on Facebook, friend me up, and we'll talk some Jalo and demons. Well, <laughs> hopefully soon enough we'll have that epic demons episode we've been teasing about. <laughs> All thirty-six parts. All thirty-six parts of that demons episode. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking about so uh, I thank you guys for coming on tonight big time and I'm sure I think the next one I'll bring you the cats on here again and we'll we'll talk some more we'll talk some of the more weird films uh, of the genre hopefully uh, people will care enough <laughs> to want to hear about it if not I don't care I just want to hear about some films that I haven't seen yet so as, as always, I'm your host, Eric Carey. You can find Astro Radio Z at astroradioz.com. You can contact me on Twitter, on Facebook at Astro Radio Z, or you can email me at astroradiozpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, TuneIn, YouTube, all these different places. Anywhere where you can find podcasts, you can find Astro Radio Z. So why don't you go there, subscribe, Share us to your friends. Give us a five-star rating, please. Please, I'm begging of you. Help us out. I don't care. If you want to rate the show, I appreciate it highly. I, I'm very thankful for all the new listeners that have been coming on and saying some really kind things about the show. I'm glad you guys are digging it. It's what's keeping me going doing a weekly podcast. So, Thank you. Keep getting back to me. Keep listening. And uh, until then, grazie and ciao.